Good morning. And welcome to the worship services of Grace United Methodist Church on this beautiful Sunday morning. We're glad you're here. We are, again, make, trying to make sure that everybody knows what's going on here at Grace, and we're doing that in a couple of different ways. We're sending out emails. We're putting things on our Facebook page. We are broadcasting our services out. If you are not on those lists to receive those emails, and you'd like to be, if you call the church office, we'll make sure that we get your email address out there. And if you're not able to receive emails and you'd like to get the information anyway, just let us know and we'll get that. We'll figure out a way to get that to you. We also send a special welcome out to those of you who are joining us online. We know we have a very strong online presence. And we invite you to stop by if you're ever in the neighborhood and you'd like to stop by and be part of our congregation. We meet at 10 o'clock on 14 Harvestman Boulevard here in Columbia, South Carolina. And we welcome all who come to praise the risen Christ. Come and join us on Sunday morning. We have a number of things going on as you maneuvered your way through the narthex. narthex this morning. You probably saw a few of those. We are today celebrating Super Bowl. That's S-O-U-P-E-R. This is a campaign that was begun actually in Columbia a number of years ago over in the northeast side of town. And it has grown to be an international effort now to where we are helping to feed the hungry and homeless and also supporting missions across the world. So... We have a t receptacles in the narthex. I think they're decorated with the 49ers and the Chiefs. If you forgot your food today, that's okay. Uh, we're also going to have youth in the narthex with pots. We're asking for each, donate, each family to donate a dollar, and that dollar will be going to sharing God's love for their ministry as well. The, the blessings box outside is still requesting monetary donations. We are attempting to make sure that we keep that thing filled for, the, for parts of our community that need it. We, are, we have been receiving donations over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to continue to do that. If you'd like to do that and you want to make sure that you get, it goes on your envelope, put blessings box on the envelope, we'll make sure that it gets to that ministry. This week, we begin our Lenten season. Our last celebration for food will be our, our typical very healthy pancakes and deep-fried bacon um, <laughs> supper. Uh, Tuesday night, the, the calendar in the bulletin actually says 7 o'clock, but we'll be beginning that at 5.30. I know the Methodist men will be helping to cook that, so if you are scheduled to be here for the Methodist men, I think they have different times, but I think we're getting here as early as 4 o'clock, Chuck, uh, to begin cooking the bacon and, and setting up and making sure that we have all the things set up for the pancake supper. Uh, if, you're, if you'd like to participate in the pancake supper and you can't come, Jaron wanted me to announce that we will be having to-go plates, that we will be giving to people if they just have to stop by and can't stay. We will have to-go plates of the bacon and, and the pancakes. Uh, as you came in this morning, you also probably saw some Valentine's-type materials set up in the narthex. We're asking the evangelism committee is providing Valentine's greetings to some members, some residents over at Lakeside and Woods Edge, and you're invited to assemble a package in the narthex as you leave. The kids are already going to try to tackle you to get your dollar as you leave anyway, so you may as well stay around and help us pack some boxes, pack some, some uh, bags for our, our evangelism committee as they, as they reach out to those in our community. Wednesday, we will have our Ash Wednesday service, which will include the impartation of ashes. That will begin at 6 o'clock. So if you're planning on being here for that, that begins at 6 o'clock. Again, a very solemn service, and we invite you to come and participate in that. Big thank you to the brave few that braved the, the conditions out on 
Piney Woods Road to pick up the garbage yesterday. Uh, we had a, a small but enthusiastic crowd, so we thank everybody that was able to come out and do that with us. Are there any other announcements that need to be made this morning? I invite you to take your bold at home. We have a number of things that will be happening over the Lenten season, including a Monday Thursday service and, and our sunrise service, which we'll be having in conjunction with our friends over at Christus Victor, and the meal that will be provided by Christus Victor when we, after our sunrise service. So keep this handy. It, we'll, we'll, obviously, we'll be talking about it in, in the next couple of weeks and making sure that you're aware of things that are going on. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let us prepare our hearts our minds, and our spirits for worship. Let's go to God in prayer this morning. Mighty God, stay with us, not only in our worship, but as we share the risk and challenge of living our faith. 
By your powerful spirit, turn our fear to courage. Your glory shines in the face of Christ. Shine in our hearts and lives. May your name be praised, glorious God. Amen. Let's stand and sing together our opening hymn, and we may have an instruction about it. Yes, so so for this uh, opening hymn for Transfiguration Sunday, um, we'll have the choir sing the first stanza. Cece will play the entire hymn tune, and we ask you to join us on stanzas two through five. Thank you. 
We say a special word of welcome and good morning to the children worshiping with us. We're glad to have you as a part of our worship this morning, whether uh, here or at home. We're glad that you uh, are joining us for worship on this Transfiguration Sunday. Uh, And that's kind of what I want us to talk about in the children's sermon for a minute is um, transfiguration. It's a big word, uh, kind of crazy sounding word that means a change in appearance. That's what transfiguration means. It's a a change in how something looks. So what I've brought this morning to talk about transfiguration is this thing. Um, We've had this out. I've had this out before. It's one of those crazy fidget toys that I keep around from uh, my brain's sake. Um, And uh, this one, though, uh, what it does is it starts kind of like a cube and then it opens itself out. And it can become lots of different things, uh, depending on what you do with it and what your end goal is or how long you let your mind wander while you're playing with it. Um, That's just so, you know, it changes its appearance. Uh, It can go from that cube into this multi-sided figure, the star, lots of, it be a triangle, you can turn it into lots of different things. It changes its appearance. And in our passage of scripture this morning, uh, Jesus is the one whose appearance changes. He takes three disciples on the mountain with him, James, John, and Peter, and they go up and all of the sudden on the mountain, Jesus is radiant. He is pure light and life. Uh, He is in the fullness of his divinity in so many ways, and they are overcome by it, his disciples that have gone with him. So much so uh, that Peter is, um, well, you can't really say Peter is struck dumb uh, because Peter makes a lot of dumb moves in the Gospels, but this is one of them. Um, Peter on the mountain decides he's going to give some advice about what they should do now that Jesus has changed his appearance so wonderfully and Moses and Elijah have showed up to talk to Jesus uh, and Peter decides he's got the best idea among all of the people on the mountain about what should happen next. Uh, And so part of what we're going to talk about in a little bit is uh, what to do in those times when we feel like We don't know what to say in the face of the amazing things that sometimes happen uh, in our life and in our faith. When things get transfigured and look different about uh, who we are and who we know God to be, about um, when we're asked a hard question or told some uh, new truth uh, by God's grace. See, that was a weird one that just happened. Um, And uh, so on this Transfiguration Sunday, I want y'all to be listening for that, for the ways, now I don't know what I'm going to do with it, um, that, uh, that Jesus is transfigured on the mountain and the ways that we get to have our lives transformed because of who Jesus is, uh, not just, um, on the mountaintops of life, but all the time. So I'm going to put this away before I get in more trouble, um, And uh, let's go to God in prayer. Almighty God, we praise you and give you thanks for the witness that you give us in Scripture of who you are in Jesus, of your greatness and glory, of uh, your mission for us. Help us to hear your good news, to hear your 
commission to us as disciples that we might be ready to live out your will and your way in the world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning as we continue in worship, we come to the time where we share our prayer concerns with one another. This is a reminder uh, as we enter that time that if you have prayer concerns you want to share with the church in worship or through our prayer concerns list in the bulletin, please email me at uh, pastor at gracecolumbia.org. You can call or text me during the week as well so that we can uh, be in prayer together. We can add your prayer concerns to the church's prayers that we share on Thursdays each week uh, and to our Sunday list, and we can have a time in prayer um, either in person or on the phone, uh, by text message, whatever works best for you. Um, And some of you can attest that if you tell me something like on Sunday morning before or after worship, sometimes it takes like two or three weeks before it might work its way into the Sunday uh, prayer concerns. It's not because I'm not listening in the moment, it's just I don't remember once the moment is gone. Um, and so um, if you can, uh, please do uh, email me as a follow-up or text me as a follow-up just so uh, we can be in prayer together and so I'm not the weakest link in our prayer life um, together as a congregation because that's really what it comes down to. Let's go to God in prayer this morning. Eternal light, shine into our hearts. Eternal goodness, deliver us from evil. Eternal power, be our support. Eternal wisdom, scatter the darkness of our ignorance. Eternal pity, have mercy on us. This day, as we come to you in prayer, O Eternal One, we lift our friends and family, our neighbors, our community, our loved ones before you who are struggling, who are uh, in the midst of needing your presence. And we pray especially this day for Teresa Douglas and her family and the death of her grandmother. The funeral for uh, her grandmother is this coming Friday in Maryland. We pray for Margaret Mintz and her family and the death of her son. Margaret is a friend of the Hollingsworth. We Pray for Charlene, a friend of the Dolce's and the death of her brother. For Jim and Cindy Goodrich, as Jim's dad was admitted to the hospital recently. For Steve Webster and for Jody, as Steve began cancer treatments this week. For George and Helena Fox. For Paul McCravey, as he recovers from surgery this past Thursday. For Marlon McPhail. For Mike Simpson. For Kitty Fashing. For Yvette Herring. For Janice O'Kane. For Darlene Simpson, for Wade Thompson, for Judith Dolce, for Felicia Presley as she'll have back surgery on April 22nd, for Robert Rieger, for Alan, a friend of the Smokes, for Gator Hudson, a cousin of the Smokes, for Rick, Betsy Smokes' brother, for Vivian Young, Mark Merritt's older sister, for Marie Robinson, Ann Shelton's sister, for all the members of Grace and their families, for all those on our prayer concerns list, for a return to love, equality, acceptance, and social justice, for those prayer concerns that go unspoken on our hearts this day. Grant that with all our heart and mind and soul and strength, we may seek your face, O God, and be brought by your infinite mercy to your holy presence. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
scripture lesson. Good morning. A reading from the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart from themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is a good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly... When they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So for a while in college, uh, I was a bouncer at one of the restaurants in the Vista um, here in Columbia. That was one of my college jobs. Most of the time in that particular work, I worked one of the doors um, and checked IDs and make sure people coming in were not already at a state of mind where they needed to go home. Um, uh, rarely did I work the floor inside to make sure no one got in fights or any of that kind of stuff. So most of the time I worked the doors. And um, I was there during a summer, and during the summer we would get a lot of bachelorette parties. Um, that was what I spent most of the time doing, was checking IDs of bachelorette parties. And I learned really, really, really quickly that all of them always wanted to play the same game as they came in the door. They always wanted to play the exact same game with whoever was working the door when they were coming in. That game was guess my age. Um, before they, I'd ask for the ID, before they would hand it over, well, guess how old I am before you look at my ID. Yeah. Every time. The first time this happened to me, I made the mistake of playing the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I made the mistake of playing the game. I knew that I shouldn't have. I knew it was a mistake as I started to have this interaction with this bachelorette. But that was in my head. And otherwise, I was nervous. It was my first night at the door. Uh, I was a little afraid, really. And they kept pushing 
for an answer. You have a few options in that kind of situation. You can really try to guess, and if you get it right, they're going to be mad that you didn't guess younger. Uh, If you guess too young, they're going to be mad that you're not giving an honest try. And what happened to me is if you guess too old, they're going to be really mad. Um, It was awkward. It was awkward. I guessed too old. Um, So, the next time that this happened to me, because like I said, I was there for a whole summer, and there were lots of bachelorette parties, and they all wanted to play. I don't know how they knew about this game, but they all wanted to play this game. The next time, I was far more cautious And so when pushed to play, instead of making a statement in answer to their questions of how old do you think we are, I asked a question. I said, I'll guess your age if you can guess mine. So how old am I? Now you have to remember that in college, I already had a beard and I was already pretty well bald. So even though I was 21 years old, they had no shot. No shot. They always guessed that I was older than I was. In fact, I won many a state fair guess your age game with that same tactic once I learned this particular (laughs) trick. They can't even get within two or three years of how old I am at the state fair. Um, So the bachelorettes had no chance. It worked every time. They could never guess correctly, and then I would check their IDs and let them in if they were over 21 and go about their business. And in this, I learned a valuable, valuable lesson for life. A couple of them, really. Do not, under any circumstances, try to guess a woman's age. That was the first one. That and responding out of fear is never the best course of action. Nervous, afraid, wondering what was going to happen, it's never a great way to choose to respond. In our passage this morning from Mark's Gospel, Peter spoke from fear. Mark puts it right out in the open in the way he tells the story. Peter did not know what to say, for they were all terrified. That's what Mark says. Peter didn't know what to say, for they were all terrified on seeing Christ transfigured in such a way that his divinity was put on full display. Jesus takes on this radiance when they get up the mountain. He is transformed. His clothes look white. His face shines. And they're overcome just by that. And then Moses and Elijah show up as well. And they're talking with Jesus. And it's all just too much for Peter and James and John to 
be able to handle. And so they didn't know what to say, for they were all terrified. The problem is that when Mark gives us this insight, that Peter didn't know what to say because they were all terrified, by the time Mark tells us that, Peter has already said something. (laughs) Mark doesn't say, now Peter didn't know what to say, because they were all terrified, and then tell us, but Peter went ahead and said something. Mark's already let the cat out of the bag. Peter's already opened his mouth, and now now Mark is going, and Peter really shouldn't have done this. (laughs) Um, He didn't know what to say, but he said it anyway. He didn't know what to say because of how scared he was, but he chose to open his mouth anyway. And sometimes when we come to Transfiguration Sunday and we talk about this passage in Mark or its corresponding passages in the other gospel accounts, sometimes we give Peter the benefit of the doubt about his suggestion being logical because why wouldn't you want to stay in the presence of these great prophets and leaders of your faith for as long as you could? Why wouldn't you want to stay in the place where you knew for certain who Jesus was because you could see it on his face? Why wouldn't you want to stay in this particular mountaintop experience with God? And I think that that is a fair way to read this passage. It's a fair way to give Peter the benefit of the doubt to interpret the passage that way. You can do that. But another fair way to read this passage is that what Peter says is made far worse By the fact that neither Moses nor Elijah ever stayed on the mountaintop when they found themselves in the presence of God in the first place. When we think back to what happened in Moses and Elijah's life, they both had experiences where they went up a mountain and met God. In some form or fashion, for Elijah, he went up the mountain and fire breaks out on the mountainside and a thunderstorm happens on the mountainside and an earthquake happens on the mountainside and the, the, the scripture tells us God was in none of it. And then in the sound of sheer silence, Elijah goes, there's God. But when that interaction is over, when Elijah has had this meeting with God and God's asked, Elijah, what in the world are you doing up this mountain? You're supposed to be out in the world on mission handling Ahab and Jezebel and their drastic apostasy and leading the people away from me. You're supposed to be out there handling that as my prophet. What are you doing on this mountain? When they've had that little... uh, face-to-face moment about what Elijah was up to, Elijah goes back down the mountain. He doesn't stay on the mountain. When Moses is receiving what he's supposed to do, right, way back in Exodus, he sees this bush on the side of a mountain burning, but not consumed. And he goes to see what's up. Like, I've never seen that before. Let's go see what's happening. And he goes up and he finds himself in God's presence. He's instructed about what to do in God's presence. And then God tells him, by the way, next steps, you're going down the mountain and back to Egypt to bring my people out of slavery. It's not, 
stay here with me forever in the burning bush and just enjoy being on the mountain with God. When Moses goes up to receive the commandments in God's presence, he comes back down with the tablets. He's not up there forever. He's not camping out. He's not building shelters to stay Neither Moses nor Elijah in the Scripture ever stayed on the mountain. So when we bring that into the passage, Peter's suggestion, hey Jesus, really not just Jesus, hey guys, why don't we just build some houses and stay here? We'll make one for Moses, one for you, and one for Elijah. It's like everything he knows has flown out of his brain. Why? Because he was afraid. He knows the story. He knows what Moses and Elijah did. And yet, he makes this suggestion that doesn't fit with how God has operated in the world. And as we talked about in the children's sermon, how in the world could Peter have honestly thought, here's Jesus transfigured, glowing, with Moses and Elijah, and yet Peter still thinks to himself, I'm the guy with the best idea on this mountain. (laughs) Mark tells us, Peter didn't know what to say because they were all terrified. His brain flew out of his head the moment Jesus was transfigured. And by speaking from fear, when he didn't know what to say, Peter ends up making a suggestion that runs counter to the witness of Scripture in front of the people the Scripture is about. To the two prophets who had been to the mountaintop with God and been sent back down to lead God's people, Peter suggests developing a neighborhood just for them and Jesus. Let's put in a little cul-de-sac up here. See how it goes. But it's amazing in our passage, because Peter isn't rebuked for this blunder. Nobody says to him, Peter, no. Just shh. He's not rebuked, which is nothing but grace. But the reality is, is that if he had stayed silent... He would have learned the plan without making this silly suggestion. His interjection aids us because it reminds us of Jesus' mission and purpose and invites us to let the pattern of mountaintop ministry guide our faith and life. But it also invites us to consider what we say And why we say it, right? Peter isn't rebuked. The story just kind of goes on as if he hadn't said anything. (laughs) It's as though God was like, we're just going to ignore this altogether. 
We'll leave it in the story so that other disciples can learn from it. (laughs) But we're just going on. Because the heavens open and God once again reiterates, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. I got to believe that was about to happen anyway. Transfigured on the mountain with Moses and Elijah, that was what was coming. Peter just gives us an example of what not to do in those moments where we don't know what to say and we're tempted to say something anyway. Because sometimes we are so afraid of saying the wrong thing that we fall into cliches that do more harm than good. When something terrible has happened to someone we know, to the world in general, when, when we are confronted with the reality of evil and sin and brokenness and death in our life and in the world and in the lives of the people we love, sometimes we fall into old, tired, terrible cliches that do more harm than good. We speak because we're afraid not to say anything. Sometimes we're so afraid of saying the wrong thing that we just don't say anything. Or we don't even go into the situation where we might be asked a hard question about our faith. And life with Jesus will just avoid it altogether. We do those two things as kind of the extremes. We'll say something that doesn't actually fit with what we believe, or we won't say anything at all. It turns out that neither is really helpful to our mission to know Jesus and make him known to others. Because we have to commit to being present in the uncomfortable moments and with the uncomfortable questions and conversations. The surest way for Peter not to have put his foot in his mouth would have been to turn down Jesus' invitation to go up the mountain. But then he wouldn't have been there. It was uncomfortable. He said the wrong thing. Sure, but he was there. He was present. We have to commit to being present in the uncomfortable moments and with the uncomfortable questions and conversations, and we have to try our hardest to avoid the cliche, easy answers and platitudes that don't lead to deeper conversations and that are out of step with the scriptural witness in which we pattern our lives and by which we live. We got to do both. So, what do we do when we don't know what to say? Because we have this Transfiguration Sunday passage where we get this example of what not to do, (laughs) of avoiding that easy answer, that cliche, that 
thing that's out of step with Scripture, but what do we do? If we're going to go and be in the presence of God, if we're going to find ourselves in the uncomfortable places and conversations, if we're going to put ourselves in the position to be able to be present and bear witness to what Jesus is doing in the world, if we're going to go to those places and try to avoid those easy cliches and platitudes, the, the thing that's right there that's like, I could say it, but it doesn't really fit with what I actually believe. If we're going to do that, then what should we do? It occurs to me that Peter would have been a lot better off instead of making his statement if he might have, I don't know, taken the opportunity to ask a question. Here's Jesus transfigured with Moses and Elijah. I can think of about 12,000 questions that would have been really great to ask in that moment. Have you asked a question? before you decide that you're going to make a statement. Maybe get to know the person you're talking to. On the mountain, Jesus is disclosing more of who he is than he has to that point to his disciples. They're getting a first-hand glimpse of the fullness of Jesus' identity Maybe you get to know the person you're present with. And here's one. Be okay with the silence. We're uncomfortable with silence. We think we have to fill it. Preachers are the worst at this. You get to an uncomfortable moment, an uncomfortable place in a conversation in an interaction with a person and it goes quiet and all of a sudden all of those cliches and platitudes and easy answers start popping into your head and you're just like let me just put one of these out here because then at least it's not so darn awkward and quiet Be okay with the silence. In some situations, what people need most is for someone to be with them. And that's it. They don't need us to be befuddling background noise. They need the presence of another person. Another person who knows what it means to stand in the presence of God. A person who can be there to listen, to ask questions, to get to know them, to have a deeper conversation that leads them to the presence of God. Sometimes, when we don't know what to say, the best thing to do is not to say anything at all, but to be committed to being 
in the conversation. Even when that's the case. It's one of those crazy ironies of life and discipleship of Jesus. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you. Thank you for your word, for your invitation to go up the mountain, for the ways that you show us new things, new things about who you are, about who we are, about how we can best be your disciples in this world, how we can help others to know your presence and your power. Give us the courage to stay in the hard conversations, to find ourselves as mediators of your presence into the complicated and confusing realities of this life. We ask these things in the name of your Son, our Savior. Amen. I invite you to stand and join with me in uh, proclaiming the Apostles' Creed. It's number 881 in the hymnal. Uh, let's tell it together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence you shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Sing hymnal number 2070. He is exalted.
This morning, as we prepare to give back to God out of all that God has so graciously given to us, a reminder that we have a number of giving options here at Grace. You can give online from our website, gracecolumbia.org, and from the giving page uh, on the website, you can set up an account or give um, as a guest. You can make a one-time gift either of those ways, or set up an, as an account holder, you can set up a recurring gift to automate your giving. Um, there's also an app that goes along with that online giving platform, and so there's instructions about how to uh, use the app on the website, uh, what app it is, and all of those uh, details if you prefer to give from your mobile device that way. If you brought your offering with you this morning and didn't have a chance to place it in the offering plate, you're invited to do so as you depart from worship this morning. You can mail your offering to the church or drop it by during the week. Um, if you don't catch us in the office as you're dropping it by and do leave it in the mailbox or mail it to the church, please just uh, either call us or um, send us an email so that we can be sure uh, to retrieve your offering as soon as it arrives uh, and not leave it outside in the mailbox for any longer than it needs to be. Um, this morning, just a reminder uh, that um, we've got some Valentine, Valentine's baskets, bags uh, in the narthex to pack. And so as you're leaving worship, you can uh, put a Valentine's bag together to be delivered to our neighbors in the coming days. Um, and then also we'll have uh, some kids with uh, soup pots ready to receive um, your monetary offering to sharing God's love. If you're prepared to do that to, uh, and you can place that, they'll be labeled uh, or on the sides of the football teams playing this evening, the 49ers and the Chiefs. And so you can uh, choose which one you want to win and place your offering there. Uh, and so we have both of those things going on as a, a way to participate in some mission and ministry uh, after worship today. Let's go to God in prayer. Gracious God, as we remember Christ's transfiguration, we stand in awe of the glimpse of your glory revealed on the mountain. Just as Peter, James, and John witnessed the radiant presence of Christ, we too are transformed by your love and grace. As we offer our tithes and offerings, may these gifts reflect the warming light of your love in our lives. Just as Jesus was transfigured before them, may our hearts be transformed and our actions reflect the love and truth Jesus embodies. Bless our giving and use it to bring your divine light to a world in need. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Twenty-one seventy-three in the Faith We Sing hymnal. 
Shine, Jesus, shine.
remain standing. Oh, remain standing. <laughs> <laughs> Our mission at Grace is? To know Jesus and to make him known to others. Beloved, go now in the strength and power of what you've witnessed in this place knowing that the glory that leads us into transition also comforts us in our growing pains and sustains us as we take up our mantle and cross over to the other side. Amen. Oh. Mm-hmm.